Hi everyone, I hope you're hungry and if you're not yet, you will be soon because this episode of Name Drop San Diego is all about fishing and seafood. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Abby Hamblin here with my co-host Christy Todd. This episode features Tommy Gomes, a well-known face in San Diego, but it's always good to see what he's up to and if you don't know about him, he's a good person to get to know. Tommy comes from a long line of San Diego fishermen and has many stories about fishing all over the world, a few of which you will hear coming up. He's been involved with promoting and selling local seafood for years, working mostly with a company called Catalina Offshore Products, earning him the now trademark name Tommy the Fishmonger. Now he has a TV show on the outdoor channel called The Fishmonger, which he's hoping to have multiple seasons of. He also has a seafood market in Point Loma in the works, and he'll explain all about both of those on this episode, as well as why he dedicates so much time and energy to promoting fresh caught fish in San Diego. Just a heads up, we had a little bit of sound issues on this first question with Tommy, but got it pretty well fixed by the second question. So please hang in there and thank you very much. Here's our interview with Tommy Gomes, the fishmonger. Tommy, thanks so much for joining us. We're really excited about today. Um, I wanted to tell you that when I moved here, I like went to try to find out about food in San Diego, and you're one of the first people that popped up, just like sort of on local oh, TV I'm shows sorry. and stuff like that. <laughs> well, actually, thank you. But um, so we want to talk about your TV show, and we're going to get to that. But first, I wanted to ask about you, um, your family. So you're a fourth generation fisherman. Was there ever a doubt in your mind that you would do something else for a living? No. I mean, this is it, you know, the, you grow up in the fishing community and you're destined, if you didn't go to school, you ended up on a boat or you ended up in the industry in some form. And uh, I was very lucky in a lot of ways with, you know, getting a job at Catalina Offshore and Dave Rudy letting me go ahead and do what I, I wanted to do. And he would pull me back on a leash if I was getting a little too crazy and stuff. And I was there for 17 years. And during that time we made a lot of adjustments and a lot of great relationships, but um, the world's changed and our food's changed and we need to re-educate and promote and have fun while we do it. And we need to, we need to bring back the Sunday dinner and we need to bring back dinner with friends and we need to eat seafood, local seafood twice a week. And we just need to stop for a minute and realize that you know, San Diego has more small farms per capita than anywhere else in the country. And we need to support our small local farmers and we need to support our local fishermen. There's not very many commercial fishermen left in California. So uh, I'm trying to, to educate and promote and have fun with this and bring people down to the docks to meet the fishermen. You know, we have this we have this stigma that, you know, a bunch of old crusty people, but that's true, but we're nice guys. And the women that work on the boats are, are they're great people, you know? So we just want people to understand that, come down to the boats, meet the fleet, eat some fish. Well, I like what you said about just like going down to the docks, meeting the fishermen, meeting the people that are making this happen. But also that like does seem kind of intimidating to me, at least to somebody who doesn't know a lot about it. So like, how do you go about doing that? So, I mean, the San Diego Fishermen's Working Group, they have the dockside market down at Seaport Village on Saturdays. And, you know, that's super cool and all that. Um, there are days when 
Like I know a week in advance when the, the bigger boats are coming in and when they're going to be offloading tuna and opa and all that cool stuff. And, and I get down there, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning and watch the first fish come off. And I do a live uh, social media shoot. But people don't get to see that anymore because we don't have the big canneries here. We don't, we used to. We had, you know, AJ Hines, Ralston Farina, Checkerboard Square, Bumblebee, Starkist. Everybody was here in San Diego. And we don't have that anymore. And when you bring people down to the boats and they see the fish coming off, you know, they're just like, oh my gosh, those fish are huge. And you're looking at the fish and you're going, eh, it's not that big, but okay. Um, it's exciting for the people. And we want to follow that fish. Fish have tails. And I don't necessarily mean the tail at the end of the fish. I mean, the tale, the story, you know, every fish has a story and every fish creates jobs and those jobs are created before it's even caught. And we need people to understand that. Yes. So, yeah. So know. what would you say from your, um, you know, over four generations and at least in your lifetime, what has changed the most about um, fishing, whether it be the technology or just the industry locally, like what are the most obvious kind of changes? <clears throat> Electronics has changed the game. You know, I mean, we have bird radars that can pick up bird schools seven, 10 miles away from the boat. We have the, what they call fads that are uh, man-made logs or devices that are floating out there that attract fish and they have little satellites Whoa. on them and you can punch in a code and it beams up to a satellite and beams down to your fad, which is 200 miles away. And tells you is the bird thing because there's birds above an area there's fish there's likely to be fish so you just track the birds instead of the yeah, fish birds, that's so cool it's like math it's math it's like birds plus bait equals yeah. fish now what kind of fish you got to go mm -hmm. check but you know our electronics have taken away our tradition our heritage and our sea time you don't need you don't need crusty old fishermen um you need somebody that knows how to run these electronics and the computer systems and things like that. So industrialized fishing has changed as well. Um, artisanal fishing, small boat operation, family owned and operated boats, those have been pushed out mm. and we're trying to hold on to the, to the few that are remaining in California, Oregon and Washington, because it's important and they bring in the best fish. They go out for shorter trips. They bring in the best fish. And, you know, my, my tagline is good seafood's not cheap. Cheap seafood's not good. And if your fish has more frequent flyer miles on it than your American Airlines credit card, you're not doing the American fishermen any good. So we're being just pounded with uh, foreign fish that is unregulated, overfished, unreported. And a lot of times it's illegal. So we want people to know where their seafood comes from, know the country of origin. And in our case here in San Diego, we want you to come down and meet the fishermen. And I mean, I invite both of you, get a hold of me. I'll walk you down there and show you what's going on. And it's super cool because if we can tell the story and it gets passed down and told again and again and again, it'll never die. I'm the last one. I'm 60 years old. There's very few young kids coming up through the ranks anymore. And once guys like me are gone, all these stories and all this stuff that you see behind me is gone. 
Um, what are some of the, the fish that are fished here locally and are, you know, some of the most sustainable to eat? You know, there's all, there's dozens and dozens of different rock fish and they're all different and they all taste good. Um, you know, a one and a half pound, two pound rock fish, most people want to fillet it because they want to make fish tacos. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> eat the whole fish. You're an adult, play with your food, get in there and eat that whole thing. Bake it, barbecue it, deep fry it, do what you want to do with it. But don't fillet it because you only get a little, you know, you get two tacos out of it where if you eat the whole fish, a two pound fish will feed two people with rice and a salad and some vegetables and you got a great meal. Um, yellowtail, white sea bass, mackerel, anchovies. If the big fish eat the small fish, why aren't we eating the small fish? You know, hashtag eat bait. You say, <laughs> oh, try these live mackerel and people go, oh, I don't eat bait. Well, neither do I, I eat mackerel. Mm -hmm. See? And they're great on the barbecue and stuff. So we just need to re-educate people on, on what to eat when it comes to seafood. Now, with that, I want you to think about this because I mean, we're all kind of foodies in a way and you shop by the seasons for your fruits and vegetables, right? Right. Why don't you shop for your seafood by the season? You know, if it's summertime and the yellowtail are running, buy yellowtail and you can bake that, you can broil it, barbecue it, you can eat it raw, you can do the collar, you know, the comma, all of this stuff is great. and. If you can learn to utilize the whole fish, it'll stretch that dollar even further because you don't kill a pig to make bacon, although bacon makes the world a better place. <laughs> At least eat the whole fish and get in the game and try and, and learn as much as you can about what's local and what's in season. And so, you got yellowtail and rock cod and mackerel and sardines and anchovies. You have halibut um, in and along the beach, like off Black's Beach and Del Mar and stuff. You have corbina with a B. You have corvina with a V. You have all kinds of cool stuff going on. And it's right here in our backyard. So... I saw on, I think I saw in an article somewhere, or no, you said it on your show, actually, uh, that being a, com a commercial fisherman is a hard life, but it's in your blood. And I know you don't yeah. necessarily um, do commercial fishing anymore, but I wondered if you could describe kind of what is so hard about that life. And I also read that you traveled to ports around the world when you were doing it. So what, what are some of the memories that you have from that and what makes it so, you know, difficult? I, it's a good thing I'm not on camera because I'm going to start crying wow. because, you know, I fished with my dad all over the world. I fished with my brothers, my uncles, my cousins. And, you know, you put your life in the hands of your crew. Um, it's a dangerous job. It's not for everybody. Um, and, you know, the memories that it brings um, are just fantastic. You know, the, uh, the fact that, ah, oh, geez, here we go. <laughs> he got me crying. So, uh, hold on, I gotta gather this up. Wow. Yeah, so the hardest part about it is leaving your loved ones at home because you don't know if you're coming back or not. You know, lots of accidents at sea and things like that. And you don't know when you're coming back. You might come back in three weeks, you might come back in three months, six months. 
or even longer in some cases. Um, and for guys that aren't married, you know, I've seen guys that go to sea for 90 days and they end up and say you're going to back then you would go through the Panama Canal and go to Puerto Rico to sell your fish. And then when you come back, guys would get off your boat and get on another boat and take off and they'd go to New Zealand and go fishing. And so you travel all over the world, but you got to remember you're on a boat. It's not like you're on a train and it's not like you could just pull up to some buoy and get off and wait for the next boat. I mean, you're stuck on the boat. So the memories of that and the stories um, are what we're trying to preserve a little bit of in the show. And we just want to pass those stories down. And when you come down to places like Driscoll's Wharf and Point Loma, there's an old guy down there, Joe Mangiapane. He's been down there forever and he, he sews net. And if he says hi to you and you don't have an hour to listen to him, just keep walking. <laughs> but if you stop, he's going to grab you and he's going to tell you all kinds of stories. And and that's what the fishermen want to do. They want to pass their stories along to others because, like I said, once we're gone, those stories go with us. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have, you know, cam. We didn't have smartphones and we didn't have GoPros and all that stuff. You know, we had stories and we wrote them in our log books and all of that. And finding those log books are, is, is a treasure. You know, I lost my dad. Uh, six years ago, I took care of him right up to the end and going through his sea chests and things like that. I found some unbelievable log books with stories and everything. And it's been pretty cool. First of all, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing those stories. But um, when you talk about fishermen wanting to tell stories, like what is one of your favorite stories, you know, that you like to tell that you want to preserve and pass down? That I made it out. <laughs> I made I made it. So the great thing about for me, the memories were when the weather got rough, we would run into Baja, California and hide because the weather was bad and stuff. And there'd be dozens of boats. There'd be commercial boats from Mexico and Panama and the United States. And believe it or not, we'd all end up on the beach and we'd drag barbecues there and we'd barbecue and we'd play soccer and and even though we're all from different countries, we're all fishermen and we all, it's like we all belong to one family. You know, it doesn't matter if you speak their language or not, it's the same type of boat catching the same fish. And so it's like family. And, you know, you remember a lot of the good and, and you remember a lot of those that we lost at sea um, and, and fatal accidents. And, you know, there's nothing sadder than watching uh, you know, a $10 million fishing boat sink with their crew on your boat. You know, you rescue all the crew and then you stand there and, and you watch the boat sink and it's just, and it's gone from the face of the earth. It's, it's gone and it's never coming back, you know? And so those are, those are some of the things that, that happen and, you know, harpooning a swordfish, you know, sliding up on it and just putting that dart in it and, it's all these excited things. You just get your adrenaline running and things like that. So it's been super cool. Some of the things that were cool, I, I did joint ventures where I worked on foreign countries' boats. I was the only American on there. Um, to this day, I cannot eat kimchi. 
I did 18 <laughs> months on a Korean longliner and I, I, I can't do it. I just can't do it. You still eat fish. I love fish. <laughs> Where love did it. you uh, spearfish or uh, spear a swordfish? Well, we anytime you saw a swordfish on a commercial boat, everybody ran and you turn the boat and you get everything ready and you go to harpoon it. Everybody had a harpoon on the boat because you're going to eat that swordfish. I mean, if you're a tuna boat and you carry 500, 800 or 1,000 tons, I mean, you can only eat tuna so much. There's a swordfish. <laughs> You know, every fish is different. The texture, the taste, the quality, um, things like that. Yeah. So we just need to tell more stories and like the romance of the sea. Hmm. It does sound super romantic and it sounds really fun. All those stories you just told. Um, I wanted to ask you about your background. Like you've been pretty open about your experiences with drugs and alcohol, uh, time in yeah. prison, and your life yeah. has changed a lot since then. But like, what was the breaking point for you? You know, why, how, and why did you decide to finally get sober and, and stick with it? You know, I don't know. I mean, there's a couple of, I shouldn't be here. I mean, seriously, I should not be here. And there's a couple of times in my life that I've been touched by whatever you want to call it, like literally hands on my shoulders and woken up and been in a situation that I had to step in and take care of. Um, so I don't really know how to explain it other than somebody other than myself is definitely in charge of my life and where I'm heading. And you know, my father got sick. I was able to take care of him. He passed at home. My mother got sick. I just lost her in October. I took care of her uh, right up to the very end. She passed in the house as well. And, you know, before that, when I, I did 10 years in prison, um, I, you know, there's drugs involved and guns and, you know, whatever. It's total Scarface movie. And when I got out, um, I just started drinking because there was no foundation for me to build off of. And I ended up one day, I, I, I literally put my hand on the Bible and said, dear God, I don't want to live like this. And a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in 15 years, literally knocked on my door like a half an hour later and said, Hey man, I hear you're having trouble. Get in the car. And I got in the car. He didn't tell me where we were going. And I ended up at a rehab center uh, up in Campo called the San Diego Freedom Ranch. And it was a 120 day program. I stayed there for eight months because I was scared. I mean, I was sober. I was scared to come down off that mountain and didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I was an ex-con. Now I'm a drunk alcoholic in recovery. And one night, um, one night I've, I woke up in the middle of the night because I heard a voice saying, it's time for you to go. And there was nobody in the room. And I went back to sleep. And in the morning when I woke up, I heard that voice again saying, pack your stuff, it's time to go. So I, I grabbed my stuff, packed all my things, went into the office and said, hey, I'm out of here. I got stuff to do. And I came down the hill and that was it. You know, I started helping others, um, not only with their addictions and finding jobs and all of that. And when I was at Catalina Offshore, we started the Collaboration Kitchen, which is a dinner series that's a nonprofit that I have 
and we would sell 120 tickets and I would donate all the money right there so that the people would know where the money went. I would donate it to another uh, charitable organization that helped kids or, or whatever, you know, it was just like, okay, here we go. We're on a roll and we just kept going and trying to reach out and do seafood classes and seafood dinners. And it was, it's been a lot of fun and I've had a lot of love and support from our local chefs throughout the city of San Diego and in Baja, LA, Oregon, Washington, you know, and of course, Dave Rudy at Catalina and Rebecca at Catalina as well. I mean, we had a blast. And while at Catalina, I was able to open the uh, retail seafood education center and restaurant program and all that. And so that's what, that's what was going on. And yeah, I was a complete total wreck. I mean, I was on the streets. I literally walked away from my house and I was living on the streets. Um, I was one of those walnuts down in OB, man. I was just like, you know, the bank manager wouldn't let me in the bank. He would come out with a withdrawal slip, you know, and I'd sign it and he'd go in and he'd come back out and, with the money and I'd fill it out and he'd look at it and he'd be like, you don't need that much money, you know, you know, oh. and we're still friends today. It's crazy, right? I mean, he wouldn't even <laughs> let me have my own money. Does he let you in the bank now? I hope so. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's an amazing trajectory. That's an amazing story. But like a lot of people try that and and don't succeed, especially, you know, to the to the levels that you have. Like what do you think it is about you that 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 helped you to do this? Um, I got a lot of friends that were in prison with me. Um, I didn't follow the rules too well while I was locked up. And so I got shipped around quite a bit. Um, and when you're doing federal time, they sh can ship you anywhere to the lower 48 and Puerto Rico, if you really want to, you know, be an idiot. Um, and there's, there's a bunch of us that made it out. And those of us that did support each other, you know, it's like, dude, you've been through worse, you know, don't roll over and pee on yourself like a puppy. Everything's going to be okay. You know, you've got this to look forward to and that to look forward to. And I had my daughter who was extremely supportive of me, you know, during that whole transition. Um, and she was young when I went away and she was still, you know, a teenager when I got out and, you know, she, you know, pushed me to get sober. And one day we had a heart to heart and I was, and I was just deathly sick because I had to continue drinking in order to function because if I didn't drink, I would become mm -hmm. sick and I was sick and she just came, came at me and, and uh, pretty much fired off and laid it all out on the line. And I got, I got sober. I took it to heart and, you know, by the grace of God and, or whoever you want to call it, you know, I'm here. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, we're, we're glad you are. And, and actually the more we talk, the more I think you, you you've got a book or two or three or five in you. <laughs> is that something you would ever you know, do? People keep, people keep telling me that. And, and I do, I have some, some great personal insight stories um, that are, that when people hear them, that just, they just get blown away. And I mean, I wouldn't even know how to go about writing a book. First off, my vocabulary <laughs> is not that great, as you can tell. And, you know, I would need a, 
a ghost writer or something. Yeah. I disagree with that though. I mean, I think you have an amazing voice and I think people should tell stories in their own voice, regardless of True. the way they tell it. I think it's more powerful. True. I want to hear it the way you would say it, not the way a ghost writer would say it. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of things have happened uh, in my life. And if it's one thing that I've learned about it is like um, two or three negatives can never measure up to a positive. One positive, you know, wipes out those negatives. Although my dad used to say, one ah crap takes away all your attaboys when you're working on a boat. Oh. You know, oh crap, I messed up. But in life, you get a couple negatives and that one positive wipes those out. And so you have to remember that and not to be too hard on yourself. Yeah, well, we appreciate what you've shared and hopefully, you know, listeners will take something uh, from it as well. Um, now we want to do something that is the opposite of a, a storybook. We want to do a rapid fire uh, round with you if we can. These are just short questions for short uh -oh. answers. It's a little diff. You got to go slow because I'm old. I'm okay, old. it's it's go hard. Slow. No rapid okay. fire. Um, but as you don't have to answer quickly, but maybe short, short answers. Um, so the first okay. one is what is the best movie, in your opinion, involving fishing or um, the ocean? Uh, anything put on by Jacques Cousteau. Okay. Is there one off the top of your head at, uh, that you love? No, they were all great. You know, the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau back when I was a little kid that came on once a month, I believe it was. And we all sat around to watch it because, believe it or not, we were hoping to see dad. Oh, hmm. we had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite non-seafood dish to cook at your house? My favorite non-seafood dish is uh, I love doing stir fries because they're simple and easy, whether it's with. Uh, a smoked sausage or pork belly or chicken or, you know, or leftover steak that you barbecued, slice it up, stir fry it up. I love stir fry and rice. Get behind easy. that. Yep. <laughs> uh, I know on your YouTube channel, you have a lot of cooking demonstrations. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. What's your favorite uh, seafood to cook at your house? Uh, at my house, yeah. my favorite seafood to cook, believe it or not, is, is wild troll caught king salmon because it only comes around at a certain time of year. Um, I like to cook on the barbecue or I like to cook on a plancha grill, a flat camp chef type plancha flat iron grill. I love flat iron. Hmm, very cool. Is there a seafood you dislike? Yeah. You wanna yes, say- there is. You wanna say publicly? Yeah, I can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do not like imported tilapia and I do not like swai or the catfish coming out of Southeast Asia. I think that stuff is um, total garbage. I don't think it's good for you. And if you saw how it was raised, if I had a chance to ban it from coming into the US, I would. Do you have a non, uh, a favorite hobby that's non uh, fishing related that you do? Uh, yeah, actually, um, I, I ride a dual sport motorcycle. I've got a 1955 Ford truck hot rod and I love hockey. Mm, very cool. What's the best advice you've ever gotten? Go to school. Did you take Stay it? Stay in school. Go to school, <laughs> get an education. 
because what you have up here, they can never take from you. There you go. Uh, yeah. Pretty good way to say it. I think that's it for the rapid fire. Uh, we definitely want to talk to you about your show a little bit more. So it's on yeah. the outdoor channel, eight episodes. Uh, the fishmonger is the name of it. What can people uh, who tune in, uh, what can they learn or what do you think they'll take away from watching it? I think they'll take away the fact that the American commercial fishermen just want a level playing field and, and to stop moving the goalpost. You know, the, the American fishermen get attacked from every environmental group there is because they're independently owned and operated each boat. And the big environmental groups come after one type of fishery gear and then they shut that down. And so those fishermen adapt to another type of fishery and then they get attacked. And we're, we're devastating our fishermen, our commercial fishermen in the United States, especially here in California, are some of the most regulated fishermen in the world. They are the stewards of the sea. They don't want to go out there and kill the last bluefin or the last anything. And if you've ever seen, if you, I mean, when a, when a mammal gets caught in the net, before the guys even know what's going on, they're stripping down clothes and taking off their boots and getting over the side to get that mammal untangled. You don't see that a lot on foreign boats. You don't see it at all. And our intercoastal commercial fishermen, the guys that go out for two days, three days and come home, those guys, their impact on the environment is so minimal and they're, they're sustainable fishermen. They're artisanal type fisheries and they're going out there and they're bringing you the best quality fish there is yet a lesser quality of that same species is coming into the country and driving the price down. So when you see the American fishermen, the San Diego fishermen selling fish at the dockside market and you see those beautiful rock cod or beautiful black cod sable fish um, and it's $6.50 a pound for a whole fish and it's three pounds or four pounds you got to remember how many people that's going to feed if you cook the whole fish. See, you're not just going to get a little tiny fillet. You're going to get a whole fish. It's kind of like taking a whole chicken and you cook a whole chicken. You know, you're going to eat that chicken for a couple of days, right? And this is a fresh fish, quality product caught within hours of being sold. And this is something that people need to educate themselves on. So thank you for that. Um, we definitely want to ask you about upcoming project as well. We know your show is on right now. We're curious if there will be a season two. And then we also know that you have us that you're working toward opening a seafood market. So can you tell us about your upcoming plans? Yeah, so the market's going to be something different. Um, we're going to have ready-made meals. We're going to have local seafood. It's only going to be uh, West Coast fish. I'm not importing anything. I will not have farmed fish. Um, you know, I might have uh, farmed fish come in with the educators. You know, okay, you want to sell a little bit? Come on in for three days and let's let's do it. If I believe that you're doing it right, meaning I need to know what you're feeding that fish because if you're feeding it beef, chicken, or pork, and because of health reasons or religious reasons you don't eat beef, chicken, or pork, why in God's name am I going to sell you a piece of fish just to make a buck? That's not right. So 
We're going to be doing that. We're going to be ready-made meals where you'll be able to get one or two rockfish in the aluminum pan um, with the vegetables and all that. And go ahead and it'll have instructions and you can sing it in the oven. And we're going to do, you know, banana leaf wrapped rockfish and things like that. Um, we're going to have a steamer. We're going to steam our local octopus, our local snails. We're going to make Mediterranean salads. Uh, we're going to take a piece of bread. We're going to cut it in half. We're going to hollow it out for you. Pack the salad in there, wrap it up, and you can go. It's not a restaurant. It's not a place where you can sit and inside and sit and eat, but it is on the water. Um, we are going to do dry aging of seafood. Uh, we've been practicing that for the last three years now with a couple of friends of mine. Some of the stuff that's coming out of that is absolutely gorgeous. And there's going to be times when we don't have anything because if it's bad weather, the guys don't go fishing. Yeah. Where is it going to be and when is it opening? Uh, well, waiting on permits, you know, because of COVID, everything kind of went backwards. We were hoping to be open for the premiere of the show. So hopefully by the end of this year, we should be open. Okay. You know. And awesome. the location? We'll see you there. <laughs> uh, we're down at Driscoll's Wharf in Point Loma. And then the next phase of that project, if all goes well, will be upstairs will be a seafood education nutritional center where I will be doing classes with local chefs on, but they'll be small and intimate, not like Collaboration Kitchen with 120 people. They'll be more like 20, 25 people. Awesome. Pretty and do you cool. think there'll be a yeah. season yeah. two of the fishmonger or do you want there to be a season two? <laughs> What'd you hear? I haven't heard anything, <laughs> but I enjoyed watching it last night. So I'd, I'd go for a season two. And more. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. So it, when it happens, we're going to move up north into Washington, Oregon, or possibly um, just boogie over to the East Coast. The outpour and support from fishing companies across the U.S. has been amazing. Now, you have to remember, from the time we pitched it to the time it aired was less than eight months. Wow. And before the show aired, the network, they bought it. So we didn't have to pay for airtime. Cool. I don't know what that all means, but I, my producer and editors were pretty happy about it. So I was like, okay, well, if you're happy, I'm happy. <laughs> Well, well, Tommy, thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, congrats on the show. Congrats on the upcoming yeah. uh, restaurant. We'll see you there. Yeah. Let me know if you want to come down and meet the meet some of the fishermen and, and check it out. And maybe you can do another another story or just get a better insight on what's going on on our working waterfront here in the Port of San Diego. I don't know about you all, but I certainly learned a lot from Tommy. His show, The Fishmonger, has a few more weeks left on Monday nights on the Outdoor Channel if you're listening to this the week the episode came out and you want to check it out. If you're listening to this down the road, hello, and you might be able to find replays of the show somewhere. Thank you for listening to this episode. We have upcoming guests from San Diego's arts community, as well as leaders on very important local issues. So we hope you'll consider subscribing right there on your listening app to hear from more interesting San Diegans coming up. Bye.